Welcome back, everybody, to Giants Confirmed, the show where I, Trevor Ickrath, and my co-host... Matt Ribeiro. Talk about everybody's favorite Johns, uh, Linnell and Flansburg. The, the two guys that comprise They Might Be Giants. We're here to talk about their albums. Matt, how are you doing? It's been a minute since we've sat down to record last time. Uh, anything anything major going on? Have you seen any uh, notable concerts, maybe? Any any bands that you like live? Uh, I, saw, I saw this one band that you might have heard of before. They're called They Might Be Giants. I do a podcast about those guys. Yeah, no, they're pretty good. Yeah, the podcast, Giants Confirmed. I've heard about it. It's a pretty good one. Right, it's right. Hosted, it's hosted on the Noise Space Network. Yeah, I'm a big fan of those guys. In the last episode, I believe you said uh, you were going to go see them in, uh, where were they playing? Toronto? They are playing in Toronto. Do you want to give us like a quick review of the show? How was it? Uh, good as always. The sound is always is is it was a bit iffy there uh just because it was at a place called the phoenix concert theater which is a venue that's really suited for like loudness which i don't think suits them as well just because they have you know a lot of elements to their music that don't really work in an environment that's for that very dense songs yeah yeah but it was still very good they played lots of stuff they because they don't have openers most of the time i know sometimes they open for themselves and we'll talk about that later we will talk about that later um but in this case they refer to it mostly as opening for themselves in that they play a set and then they play another set and then they play an encore and then sometimes they play a second encore. Any like uh, any any big noticeable like uh, performances like of songs you haven't seen before? I know you've seen them like three times before this, right? Do they break out anything new? I don't think there was much new on the older end of the spectrum just because like the some of the earlier shows that I saw were Fl- uh, were Lincoln Flood shows, and that brought out a lot of the stuff that they don't play very often. Right, right. Like, like the just essentially the lower cuts on the album. The most like notable song was one of the newer ones, which they actually closed out their main set with, and is probably the best song they've put out in more than ten years, which is "The Communists Have the Music." Nice, great. It's just an absolutely wonderful track, and also that they. Um, they actually do have a, a a touring horns player now, which is very good to have. Cool. I still got to see him with horns. I really want to do that some, as soon as I can. Well, you, like now they just they always have a guy with them whose name is escaping me at the moment, but he's very good. Great live update. Do you want to let's get into the studio though and talk about the album we're here to talk about today? Uh, we're talking about this uh, brand new record from 1990. They might be giants. Brand new album. What many would tell you is kind of their most essential big breakthrough record, kind of. This was their first major label album, I believe, right? Yes, yeah, for uh, Elektra Records after their first two were released on Bar None. Right. Um, This would be one of the, I believe, is it two or three albums that they put out with Elektra? I, I don't remember if John Henry was. I can't remember either. I know Apollo 18 was, though, yeah. 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 Yeah, and I know those two. I know this one and that one for sure. But yeah, they it didn't really last super long for them and they they kind of go into it on the uh the documentary Gigantic, which is very very good and I would highly recommend seeing it if you haven't. Oh, we'll definitely have to talk about that. There's there's plenty to talk about with that one. But talking about Flood, this is kind of like I see this as like the almost like stereotypical big third album for a band. Like, you know, you got like your okay computers, that kind of stuff. This is very much in the same vein as that. I feel like this is a, I think on our last episode, I felt, I said that I felt like uh, the progression from the pink album to uh, Lincoln wasn't a super big step, but here it really feels like they make a big leap towards being just like two wacky dudes with guitars and accordions making weird art pop to like two musical masterminds directing whole like weird bizarro symphonies like this is some like 4d shit yeah well they they definitely had a higher budget on this one yeah and you can definitely tell too like 
I, I would never refer to those like first two albums as like monochromatic or like like black and white or anything, but here they really do jump to like a whole new world of color almost. Yeah, um, it's uh, marks the first album where they collaborated with Pat Dillett, who's basically their is like production assistant on this one, but like basically their producer now has been around with them for for ages. Um, Apparently, they spent two-thirds of this album's recording budget on four songs. Which, wow, which ones were those? Uh, Birdhouse in Your Soul, which tracks. Yep. Uh, we Want to Rock. Really? Your Racist Friend and Istanbul. Okay, I, I I see all three of those except for We Want to Rock. That's kind of the odd man out there. I guess it's just the person to play, like, the violin or fiddle for that one or something. They just mm-hmm. they wanted someone good to do the uh, that bit because it was carrying the whole song. Yep. It's very good. And, uh, yeah, just you could tell a lot more budget went into some of the arrangements, especially Especially the horn arrangements. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool horn stuff going on in this album. I was fortunate enough enough to find like a lot of really good quotes from the two Johns about this one. Yeah, because people do ask them about it a lot, which is fair because it is their most popular album. Yep. It went platinum in 2009, which is bonkers. Pretty cool. Uh, there's a whole like Rolling Stone article from 2009 where they do like a track by track walkthrough of the album. It's very funny to come from Rolling Stone of all people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Because their original review was a two stars out of five. Ooh, huh? Okay. It's uh, it's pretty brutal. It was from February second, February twenty second, nineteen ninety. So like the year the album came out. Isn't that isn't that when you were born too? Yeah, this album and I are the same age, I guess. Dang, I don't have a They Might Be Giants album for my birth year of nineteen ninety one, but I do have Sonic the Hedgehog, and that's something. Great, perfect. A lot of the quotes I found from them talking about this album and like broad strokes kind of like track with everything we're saying about how like this is like a big step up for them. They kind of were like seemed pretty aware of that. Like there's one from uh, John Flansburg where he says, we were in a very singular place entering into the flood situation because we had been successful as an independent act on a commercial level. I think we felt like we had earned our place at the table. There was a thing about the year 1990 when flood came out. Our manager was getting much more excited and saying, we're blowing up. This is kind of a big deal. But artistically, we felt like we had already got a grip on where we were in relation to the rest of the world. Yeah. And you could really see them sticking true to like their artistic guns, or the stuff they'd established on the first albums, but like blowing it up to a much bigger, grander scale. Yeah, just some really, really good arrangements on this one. I'm honestly, I'm surprised that uh, Road Movie to Berlin isn't one of the tracks that uh, that blew out their budget with some of the horns on the later part of that track and the way they're recorded. That one really explodes. I gotta say, we said a lot of nice things about Lincoln on the last uh, episode, and I know that's like your favorite album of all time, but if I had to pit the two against each other, I think Flood might come out as the winner in terms of my favorite They Might Be Giants album. I get it, because I, I just, I did, I did my re-listen today, because I always like to do it within a couple hours of recording, because, like, I'm, yep. I don't take as, like, uh, detailed notes as you or anything, because I, 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 like, I like to do this one on feeling, and then you could do it on the, on the intellectual level. Yeah, I think that's a good balance that we bring to the show. It's working so far. I, I'm just a, a, a small country They Might Be Giants fan who don't know any of these complicated terms, just know the simple things. Well, the way I see it is that, like, you've been living with this band for so long. And, like, I have become, like, uh, I've become a fan of it more recently. And I see it as me gathering all these facts that, like, I find and bringing them to you and you just going, like... Ah, yes, I remember all of this. Yeah, but of course, there are always times where we'll both come up with something and be like, whoa, where'd that come from? Because, like, these guys, like, for a couple of white guys from Brooklyn, they managed to make themselves into a very interesting duo for the time they've been together. Like, they're not just, like, your average band from Brooklyn. They do so much with what they do. No, they are a singular force. And, of course, you know, the fact that they're still going. A a note to make, um... 
since we last recorded, not even just like, you know, in the, uh, a space of time between albums, just, you know, since we last recorded, they've released two more things. <laughs> Great. What were those? They put out My Murdered Remains, which was a, uh, it's kind of a compilation album. It's mostly dial-a-song tracks that they've been putting out this year because it is the 2018 dial-a-song. Okay. Um, they also put out The Escape Team, which is a series of songs that are a companion to a comic book by the same name. Nice. Cool. I'll have to check those things out. I totally missed them. Yeah. And they have also put out, <laughs> they put out the John Henry demos uh, out to people who aren't in the Instant Fan Club, finally. So other people get to hear those. Oh, I'd be interested in hearing those. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very interesting because that was when that was their first album recording with a full band. Yeah. So it's uh, it's a polarizing record, right? Yes. I've heard different things about that one. And that's why I, I wanted it to be the first one we ever have a guest on for. That's a good idea. We do the first four classic ones, just us, and then we can start bringing on other people. Because like if if between two episodes they can release two releases... I don't think we're ever going to stop be able to stop doing this podcast. No, it's just going to keep going on and on forever. I mean, even if even if we were doing it at, at a one album a month pace, which was the hilarious idea we set for ourselves when we started. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's let's start talking about the uh, flood tracks, why don't we? So first up, we got Theme from Flood. Theme from Flood. <laughs> why is the world in love again? Why are we marching hand in So uh, John Linnell said in his 2019 interview with Rolling Stone that like uh, this was indeed written as an introductory theme for Flood and that it seemed appropriate to inaugurate our major label debut by having the listener pass through a ceremonial archway. And that's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. Um, also interested to learn that Dashboard Confessional covered this for a covers album. Yeah, I saw that. I wasn't able to I wasn't able to find the track, but I, I know that there's a cover coming up that I want to talk to you about because you already mentioned it to me. Yes. Uh, but this was this was sung by Joel Mitchell and Marion Beckenstein and has trombone parts uh, performed by Rick McRow. I really like that the Johns themselves don't actually sing this song. It's like a nice little kind of setup for them to take the stage. I, I also just do love that there is a like uh, in the song themes which are just one of my favorite parts of This Might Be a Wiki, which, of course, is the backbone of this entire podcast. Yeah, it would not be possible without This Might Be a Wiki. Yeah, there's an entire tag of songs with non-John vocals. That'd make an interesting playlist. Yeah, there's there's a couple of really, really good ones on there. Like, I bet the, uh, I bet, uh, what, Dr. Evil's on there? Dr. Evil is, of course, on there. Yep. And I actually got to see that one performed live, not this time, but a previous time. Oh, that's fun. Which was wonderful. Because Robin Goldwasser is very good. Also, very good to follow on Twitter. Nice shout out. Yeah. But I, I don't have a super lot to say about this song. One thing that I'll say is that I really, and this kind of speaks to the album as a whole, I really like the way they use negative space on this record. Like, there are a lot of pregnant pauses. Brand new album. Flood. Yeah, the perfect pause. And then there's that little bit of silence between... The end of this song and the beginning of the next one where like I, I'm super familiar with Birdhouse in Your Soul and I know it's coming, but like the way this song ends always puts me on the edge of my seat and like it feels like I have no idea what's gonna come next and how they're gonna open this big new album. It's particularly good how quietly Birdhouse starts. Yeah. It like it makes you lean in. It's kind of difficult when you put when you slot Birdhouse into like a playlist, but it works perfectly in the album format. Yeah, because it, it doesn't feel 
it doesn't feel like an opener, but it's also an opener. Should we just like get straight into talking about Birdhouse in your soul now? I'm ready to. We're talking about Birdhouse. We're talking about Birdhouse. Maybe like the biggest They Might Be Giant song. If not the biggest, it's definitely close. Look at Harry in the alley by the light switch. Who watches over you? Make a little birdhouse in your soul. Not to put too fine a point on it. Say I'm the only bee in your bonnet. Make a little birdhouse in your soul. Like, it's not the one that won them a Grammy, so it's not boss of me, but... No, but it's very much the definitive they might be giants work where is it ranked i'm curious to know about this one. Ooh, yes i of course have all the wiki pages open as i always do it is number two number one being anna ing is that right yeah that was last month <laughs> one and two that does not surprise me at all those two feel like the two biggest they might be giant songs that did not win them a grammy and they're so different yeah they are absolutely i mean other other than the fact that they are both linnell led tracks mm-hmm. um they're very very differently done yeah anna ing feels like so much more like a straightforward like alternative rock just like guitar driven song where this one is really carried by like those twinkling organs going on mm-hmm. really cool arrangements on this one and, and just some like really really good gated reverb drums yeah they want to sound as big as possible and i wanted to give like a particular shout out to flansberg on this song because like this feels like such a big moment for linnell mm-hmm. but i think flansberg's performance on this track is really underrated he really had some great rhythm guitar to this one. Oh yeah yeah for sure i really love those shots of him in the video which is like <laughs> great just holding up his guitar and like strumming it. Is he doing his is he doing his big creepy smile that he does sometimes? They make a lot of interesting facial expressions in the video, of course. Yeah, because no, uh, if if I know anything about John Flansburg is that he loves mugging for a camera. Yeah, yeah, we saw a lot of that in the um that promotional video you linked me to shortly before the recording. Yeah. So funny! Oh my god, with them in the diner. Oh my god, that thing is great. Hi. Thanks for joining us for coffee. I'm John. And I'm John of They Might Be Giants. And we've got a new album out on Electra Records. It's called Flood. Some records that come out today only have 10 songs or less. This makes us angry. But instead of cursing the darkness, John and I have decided to do something about it. We've put out a record with 19 songs on it. And that's why our record is better. This is our rock promotion video, so Come on inside. My personal favorite part had to be that super, like, gratuitously long sequence where they just name every song on the album and, like, (laughs) cut in two or three seconds of the audio of them singing the title. Well, the audio that they cut in is literally just the title of each of the songs. (laughs) Yeah, except for Istanbul for some reason, which they don't play at all. (laughs) It's just silent for a second. It's just silence. It's probably, I'm, I'm just going to put a wild guess and say that was a licensing thing because that song's a cover. Wouldn't surprise me. And it, it was particularly good for Dead just because, you know, it's a one word title. Yeah, but the video for this one is really cool. It, uh, it features dancers with pictures of William Allen White's eyes attached to glasses obscuring their own. Uh, which John Flansburg uh, allegedly designed. Honestly, it's been so long since we did the first episode, I don't remember if I've talked about the fact that, like, John Flansburg is, like, a graphic designer by trade. I think we might have mentioned it, but it's always good to bring up. Yeah, and so, like, doing doing visuals for the for the band's work was something he was really into, even though he, like, didn't do, like, album covers for them as much as he got other people to do those. He's still very involved in the band's packaging and marketing. Right. Right. I believe he designed the emblem on the on the album cover. That's a cool emblem. I'd love to have it as like a patch or something. Uh, it definitely existed as a patch for at least one of the years of Instant Fan Club. Nice. And if I was a member that year, I would have it, but I don't know where anything is because, you know, moving a bunch of times. Yeah. Just going back to the album cover for a second since we didn't do it in the opening. 
it is the the titular flood it's from the kentucky flood around the 1930s uh, and it is the second most famous photograph from that period of time do you know what the first one is which is the what's the, the first, first one? one is a photo of people waiting in line for bread in front of a sign that says world's highest standard of living there's no way like the american <laughs> way okay great <laughs> A very, very good image. Very bleak. It's very bleak. I don't I don't love the album cover of this one as much as the first two, unfortunately. Like out of the first like four classic They Might Be Giants albums, I think this one might have the weakest album cover. Yeah, well, I mean, you're not gonna beat Apollo 18 on that front. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple different versions of the cover that are just various zooms of the photo. I like the ones that are wider shots. Although they're all they're all pretty good. Like it's that's that's the reason why it's not so as evocative as the others because it wasn't really created for the band and john flansberg did just want to put it out without any words on it huh okay which is an instinct that people need to bury more often than not sure i could see that it's, it's not good for sales have you heard the titus andronicus cover of this song <sighs> it's i really don't like it listen I'm I'm from New Jersey myself, which means Titus Andronicus is a very special, important band to me. Maybe my favorite, uh-huh. but that is yeah. The cover is really bad. It's the fucking pit. It's really uh, bad, and it's not even. I loved the opening of it e- of t- of it too. That's the most frustrating part. He was like reading poetry over some like interpolations of the musical themes like i just listened to the uh, titus andronicus's album from this year and like any titus andronicus album if anyone is not familiar with them is a goddamn marathon yeah i happened to be on a bus that was like an hour and a half and it was a bus that stayed within the confines of the city of sudbury because that's how big sudbury is mm-hmm. um that's just kind of a thing that happens sometimes so i was just listening to it on a marathon bus ride listening to this marathon album and they do a lot of covers that do little changes with the source material that are really good. That Bob Dylan one on the new one is surprisingly good. The Bob Dylan one is amazing. Like that, that is like, it's so good. But I don't really know what went wrong with the Birdhouse and Your Soul cover. They did it for the AV Club undercover series, right? Which has good covers on it sometimes. Has tons of, I mean, uh, They Might Be Giants did a great cover of Tub Thumping for it. Yes. Yeah. And then they also did an okay cover of Bills, Bills, Bills by Destiny's Child. Right. But it was around the time that they put out like their landmark album, The Monitor, which had a lot of like uh, sequences in it where they used like spoken word recordings and stuff. Yeah. And so they kind of redid Birdhouse and Your Soul in that style where they played like an excerpt of a Bukowski poem yeah. uh, over a really long Im- ambient outro and it's really cool and it really hooks you in but then the band starts and then the second he sings the words he's like totally off key and the band is out of time it sounds like they didn't have time to rehearse or something it's a real shame it's so bad because it could have been great <laughs> he got way too into the first part and then couldn't do the second part yeah exactly that's probably what happened uh, it, was, it was really frustrating to me because I, I wasn't a big fan of Titus Andronicus at the time and it kind of turned me off them for a little bit yeah I could see it doing and that and then I you know listened to the monitor and then I was fine all their covers are usually so good it's it really had to have been a case of like not having time to prepare or something or not sound checking yeah I'd love to see them try it again like maybe in a like a live setting with just good energy around them yeah I bet it would rock in concert yeah well so that's what I would feel about all their covers like I would mark the fuck out if he started playing that Rolling Stone cover anything else to say about Birdhouse and Your Soul before we keep going I do like the, that John Linnell admitted that he did not know what the Longines Symphonette was when he wrote this song 
Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. It's like, yeah, it just kind of rhymed. It was a radio show sponsored by uh, Longines, which is, was a watch manufacturer, I guess. I read that on This Might Be a Wiki. Yeah. The only thing I want to say more about it is that I really love that uh, reference to Jason and the Argonauts in the second verse. That's probably my, one of my favorite parts of a They Might Be Giants song. And my favorite piece of They Might Be Giants merch is the Blue Canary Nightlight that I have because of this. Oh, you actually have one of those? That's pretty cool. Yeah, they, they gave them out with the uh, with Instant Fan Club a couple of years ago. Very neat. I think they just sell them on their store now. There's just a, it's a very simple nightlight. It's literally just an, it's an LED with just like a blue plastic model basically just glued to the top of it. It feels like the like definitive piece of They Might Be Giants merch though. Yeah, peep it on our album cover. One of the little references on there. Shout outs to Natty Gonzalez for that art. I gotta, I gotta put up like just a link to uh, some of her store pages because you know, we gotta, you gotta get artists paid. I mean, I did, I did pay for it, but. We'll put it up. Yeah, we could we could throw that on the Twitter. But we can move on. Yeah, let's talk about Lucky Ball and Chain. I lost my lucky ball and chain. Now she's four years gone. She's five feet tall and sick of me. And all my rattling on. She threw away her baby top. I held on to my pride. But I was young and foolish then. I feel old and foolish now. It's the second of two really good songs about divorce by these two guys who haven't been divorced. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the first being uh, They'll Need a Crane. This is a nice kind of little sequel to that one, isn't it? Yeah, and like that one, They'll Need a Crane is a Linnell track, and this one's like a Flansburg lead. Nice. I, I like the way that balances out. John Linnell does do uh, really good harmonies on this one. Both of their voices sound great on this one. I feel like uh, like this album is the most I've ever enjoyed Flansburg's vocals. Yeah, and, and it's another thing is like we're near the end of the age where they use their country western references at all yeah this is kind of the last time we'd see them do that move that they've like pulled on every album like we had like uh three uh cowtown and now this yeah and like rest in peace the the country western they might be giants because it was always pretty good yeah no it's always really good it's a good pastiche of just like middle america from two guys who are from the coast but yeah this one almost even kind of like transcends the pastiche in a way that the other ones like that we've gotten so far haven't to become just kind of like a jam like among their catalog i think well yeah yeah those ones seem more like a pastiche than this one which is just like it's a song that's in a country western style that's not really evoking any of it other than like saying he rocks a bar stool so it's like a saloon song. I think Flansburg said like, it's suggestive to give it kind of a country treatment. And in a way it's kind of a genre piece. It's a very typical country Western song. And then it has this adult sadness kind of disappointed in life lyric to it. It's not like I'm going to kill myself kind of lyrics, but it's like, this really sucks. I feel like saying it's country, but with this underlying sadness does show a bit of a misunderstanding of country. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> like, it's, it's a genre entirely rooted in sadness. I, I do like a lot of these lyrics though. Like, especially the way they like contradict each other. Like the way they have uh, the lyric, she threw away her baby doll. I held onto my pride. And then in the very next verse, he goes confidentially, she never called me baby doll and I never had much pride. That's great and then yeah there goes the bride as she walked out the door was a reference to a darlene love song and there goes the bride is also a great play on here comes the bride i think that's very funny yeah yeah it's just yeah the two the two parts of it make it a really good uh reference in general and then yeah it's uh it was referenced in a Discworld novel yeah uh, terry pratchett's uh 1992 novel lords and ladies contains a character uh, conversation between two characters where they say, I was young and foolish then, and the other one goes, well, you're old and foolish now. The thing about clever turns of phrase is that there's something that's really easy to work into your uh, into your fantasy sci-fi novels. <laughs> totally. If you want your characters to sound super clever, like in the deep and profound uh, novel Ready Player One. That's why it was such a big hit. Those They Might Be Giants references. 
<laughs> That's what got God. the people to come to see it. Did that movie do well? I actually don't know. Kanye West liked it. Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> do you want to talk about Istanbul? I do want to talk about Istanbul. Istanbul was Constantinople. Now it's Istanbul, now Constantinople. Been a long time gone. Constantinople, now it's Turkish delight. On a moonlit night. Every gal in Constantinople lives in Istanbul, now Constantinople. So if you a date in Constantinople, she'll be waiting in Istanbul. I get this song stuck in my head constantly. I feel like I have never really grown attached to it in the way that some other They Might Be Giants fans have. Definitely a part of it is the Tiny Toon Adventures cartoon, which I most certainly saw as a kid. Yeah, that was absolutely, like, I can't remember sitting in front of a TV and watching it, but that was 100% my introduction to this band. It had to have been. Also, just, I like, I like that this song is well within my singing vocal range oh sure that's always nice which is it's i i have like a half octave range it's not good <laughs> unless i'm doing like a really really like nasally head voice um mm-hmm. which this one doesn't really use like they're the they're least nasally on this one maybe that's because it's a cover yeah it's a cover of the four lads which i'm assuming was a barbershop quartet that's what it sounds like i actually i've never i've never looked up the original i'm sure it wouldn't be too hard to find if i tried to look for it i'll probably drop in a little bit of it like right around here istanbul was constantinople now it's istanbul not constantinople been a long time gone oh constantinople still it's turkish delight on a moonlit night god god bless post-editing right mm-hmm, it's so good it's so good apparently when they recorded this song though they kind of did it from memory like they they put it together without listening to the original song the thing about super faithful covers is that they're boring as hell like why would you listen to that and not just listen to the original if it's going to be faithful i i say after having ripped the titus andronicus birdhouse cover not even five minutes ago <laughs> but like yeah if you're gonna do something you gotta do something interesting with it and uh yeah they, they when they were originally playing a lot of like venues where they'd be playing longer sets this is one of the songs that they picked up basically as um, set filler originally. <laughs> and it found its way onto their most acclaimed album, surprisingly enough. Yeah, which is fantastic. It's it's one of those songs that also just people don't know is a cover because, like, wh- what kind of song is this that it would be a cover? But, you know, the 50s. I can't, I really can't imagine, like, a couple of barbershop crooners singing this with a straight face. It's got so many jokes in it. Like, that's nobody's business but the Turks. It's definitely supposed to be silly. Yeah. And that's why it suited so well. Even old New York was once New Amsterdam. Why they changed it, I can't say. People just liked it better that way. I have won multiple rounds of bar trivia knowing that old New York was once New Amsterdam. Thanks to this song. Because that comes up frequently in trivia it's just one of those trivia questions that they like to throw right they being the nerds who write trivia questions i gotta say though i i know they perform this in concert like a lot do they do this at like every show they do it a lot i've seen it like three out of the four times i've seen them i feel like i wouldn't be bummed if i went to a they might be giants concert and they didn't play this i'd I'd rather see like something else you know yeah um Dan Miller does play long improvisational guitar intro for it, though. When I, when I saw them do, do it live, I think they uh, sang it uh, with pirate voices to like mix it up for the audience and keep it fresh. Yep. And um, I, I think at least once they'd done it with the puppets. Yeah, that, that would be a good way to handle it. This song was also featured on an episode of The Simpsons. Oh, cool. Literally just because Turkish people were involved. Because that's about all the creativity that goes into music choices on The Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah, these days at least. Yeah. They've like uh, since re-recorded this in like a 
number of different styles, right? I know there's like an electronic version. Yeah, yeah. The, the electronic one's very good. It's pretty cool. I think that one's on uh, this album raises new and troubling questions. Got it. Which is one of my favorite compilation album titles. It's very good. They always have good compilation album titles. Yeah, like 50 million They Might Be Giant songs can't be wrong is another one of them. <laughs> Then is a very good yeah, one. Yeah, them is yeah. also, yeah. Uh, so this had two videos. There was the Tiny Toons one, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of like a noir-esque mystery starring Plucky Duck, uh, where he has to recover like an emerald duck statue. Yeah. And then there's like the, quote, official music video, which features stop-motion animated paper mache sculptures by Mark Marek and hand-drawn animation by J. Otto Seibold. Yeah, that sounds like a list of They Might Be Giants collaborators for sure. Yeah, the New York Times called that one inane fluff. <laughs> I mean, they did really well in the MTV age just for having interesting music videos because so many of them were just, you know, the bands playing the songs, mm-hmm. which like, where's the fucking fun in that? The videos we've seen so far, like Anna Ng, Birdhouse in Your Soul, all really good. They, they put a lot of character into their videos and they put a lot of William Allen Whiteheads. <laughs> which always helps. Which always helps. So next we've got Dead. I returned a bag of groceries accidentally taking off the shelf before the expiration date. I came back as a bag of groceries accidentally taken off the shelf before the day stamped on my sand. This is one of my favorites. When they played it live the first time I saw them, which like, obviously when I went to the Lincoln Flood show, I knew I was going to hear it. But when I went to them, see them the first time, which was in Detroit, that was just like... I went nuts. This has always been one of my favorites, which I think is kind of surprising in a way because it's one of the sparser They Might Be Giants songs. Like, it's really just mm-hmm. Linnell singing with a piano, right? I don't think Flansburg even does vocals on this one. Oh, he does. He does? Okay, I saw they on... Have, uh, they have some harmonies. Got it. I saw on They Might Be a Wiki that Linnell is only listed, and, like, so I assume that he was, like, just double-tracking his vocals, but... it's It says on the... It says, like, right below it that uh, there was a performance where he played by himself because Flansburg fell ill. So I assume I assume they, they do... Uh, he does... On it and he also does a lot of the uh the background voices i know he doesn't do the ands because those are the most linnell thing ever yeah because i'm pretty sure they are now you're now i'm, now I'm doubting myself <laughs> that must have been an interesting performance to watch linnell doing this one live I, I saw on the wiki that like the audience even like provided a lot of the vocals when like he kind of forgot the lyrics and they were doing the backing vocals which sounds great there's a lot of good like backing vocals on this one and you messaged me earlier today saying that there were like so many good sing-along moments on flood Mm -hmm. this has to be number one it is for sure i i just really like to that's that's something that really that really pushes this album up for me that's why it was like one it's it's definitely going to be top three overall but like it was my favorite for a while before i got really into lincoln Mm -hmm. because like it has a lot of their most recognizable songs and the reason that they're the most recognizable songs is because they're so sing-alongable totally there's a real communal feeling to them. Yeah, and like anything with the with their harmonies on it are pretty easily sung in nasally nerd voices. So yeah, it works. I I love any song where the protagonist is publicly executed. <laughs> like uh, this one reminds me of Heretic Pride by the Mountain Goats. Always been a big fan of that one yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, covered by Steve Burns of Blues Clues fame for the Hello Radio tribute album. One of the better ones on there. I haven't checked that one out, but I also know that TV on the radio covered this. A song for Napster, right? Were you able to find that? The only place I was able to find it is only purchasable from the United States, so you are going to have to buy it. Okay, I totally will. I will link it to you later, and then you could put it into the recording here. Sure. I return a bag of groceries accidentally taken off the shelf before the expiration date. I came back as a bag of groceries accidentally taken off the shelf before the 
date stamped on myself In a large procession waved their torches As my head fell in the basket It was everybody dancing on the casket Now it's over, I'm dead and I haven't done anything that I want Or I'm still alive and there's nothing I want to do I found a really good uh, Linnell quote about this one where he just says, there's no real little brother. We would never confess something like that in a song. <laughs> Referencing that lyric about uh, making his uh, younger brother be his personal slave. I mean, they're rarely the narrators in their own songs. No, I don't think so. That's either. something that comes up a lot. Like, just unreliable narrator stuff yeah. is a big theme of how they do music. Because they're, they're always some kind of character. There's a lot of character work going on in their songs. He also says, I think I ripped the vocal interplay off from the Proclaimers. There, I said it. Let the lawyers emerge. <laughs> Feathered helmets and jousting spears at the ready. Oh, come on. <laughs> I wouldn't make that statement. I can I can see the Proclaimers influence, though. The way the vocals kind of go back and forth, like in uh, 500 Miles. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So next, uh, next we got their most evergreen track. Oh, yeah. Your racist friend. think any line is gonna sum up people who say dumb racist shit and say it's a troll and as can't shake the devil's hand and say you're only kidding absolutely i mean like how many times have we seen that happen like this year alone i mean i think like kevin hart was just let go from the oscars for making some like tons of homophobic jokes yeah as, as he does it's, yeah like you said evergreen it's just it's never gonna go away this song is always going to be applicable it's the most 2018 song not written in 2018. This is the most 2018 song that was first performed three entire years before I was born. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's really good. I I wish there was more covers of this one, honestly. There said there's one by Australian singer Mick Thomas, and it's on his uh, on his live album. Know who I'd like to hear cover this song? The Specials, because they also have a song called Your Racist Friend that the Johns apparently were not aware of when they wrote this one. I want to listen to that one and see if there's a way to mash them up. That one's pretty good. I don't like it as much as this one, but it's like a decent special song. But is there a way to mash them up? Are they at all tonally similar? <laughs> I, I bet somebody like some like ukulele player on YouTube could do it for like the views, but I couldn't do it. Yeah, and the last thing we want to do is encourage YouTube ukulele players. <laughs> exactly. We don't need any more of those. Yeah, uh, Flansburg basically said that this song is a composite experience and really about the relativistic backpedaling people go through trying to get through this creepy world. Yeah. Which, like, are you sure that statement wasn't said this year? Are you sure? <laughs> but this one also has a lot of, like, cool, like, pregnant pauses and a real stop-start motion to it that really packs a lot of a punch, I think. I love the cowbells in it, too. Yeah, and there's that whole, like, breakdown in the middle with, like, the horns. Really interesting track. Yeah, some some reviews of it, yeah, didn't really like that, uh, the horn arrangement. They're just, like, it, it kind of ruins the point of the song to make it all jaunty and i'm like i mean not really no i don't think so if anything like i can i can see not liking it because it kind of feels a little shoved into the track whereas the rest is so like locked into a groove yeah but i think when you live with it for enough it really becomes like a like an indisposable part of the track no yeah absolutely and again like 
the fact that they tour with a horn player now means that this song is always going to be really good. Oh, yeah, that would really come to life on stage. Just, what's all you need is one trumpet for it. You don't need to have a horn section. No, it's just that big, like, ripping trumpet. Yeah, I like it a lot. And then, yeah, just the, the harmonizing on this is where the party ends is beautiful. Really good. It's a great lyric. It is a good lyric. This is where the party ends. If only that party was the Republican Party, am I right, gamers? <laughs> sure. Do you want to talk about... Particle Man? Let's talk about Particle Man. Particle Man, Particle Man, doing the things a particle can. What's he like? It's not important. Particle Man, is he a dot or is he a speck? When he's underwater, does he get wet or does the water get him instead? Nobody knows Particle Man. Yep, this one has a very interesting music video for it. (laughs) I like this music video a lot better than the other one, which feels like it's not as uh, about the song, whereas this one, they really kind of bring the characters to life in a way. I feel complete sympathy with the people in our audience who are like visibly completely over-interpreting some song. Like, I can't even think of a good example. Particle Man. No, it's pretty on the surface, you know? People really want to know what the secret message behind Particle Man is. And there just isn't one. It is what it is. It is what it is. Do you want to hear what my theory about Particle Man is? Yeah, absolutely. It's obviously about a sense of man's alienation in the world. Okay. Triangle Man is alienation by technology. Universe Man is alienation by nature. Huh. And Person Man is alienation on the hands of other men who you think are doing better in the world than you are. I love that. And you're just having the shit beaten out of you by all three of these things at all times. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Goes really well with the last song in that vein. I-, I love when the lyrics eventually kind of stop being silly in this one and just like become seriously depressing towards the end. <laughs> is he depressed or is he a mess? Does he feel totally worthless? Who came up with Person Man? Degraded Man, Person Man. Yeah. So when they do this one live, occasionally uh, Linnell leads the band in performing a small sm- segment of other songs during the breakdown. Have, have you seen them do this? They did Chandelier at the show I just went to. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Okay. It's really fucking good every time. <laughs> other songs uh, they've incorporated include Don't Cry Out Loud by Melissa Manchester, Elusive Butterfly by Bob Lind, Here You Come Again by Dolly Parton, uh, Kumbaya, Rain by the Beatles, The Sign by Ace of Bass, The Tide is High. I think they did The Sign another time I saw them. That's pretty cool. Because that sounds really familiar to me. Uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart and Theme from Rocky with improvised lyrics. (laughs) I'd really be interested in hearing that. And yeah, since Particle Man is like something that has just like a really workman rhythm. They can work a lot of things into it, and Particle Man generally goes on pretty long when they perform it live. For that reason, I could, I would enjoy seeing this one stretched out to like ridiculous lengths. It's kind of, it's got, yeah, like you say, it's got the rhythm for it. I gotta double check if the uh, the live album that they just uh, gave to the Instant Fan Club people has uh, a Particle Man on it. Particle Man, though, great track of the two Tiny Toons tracks. I prefer this one. Yeah, and. Again, it doesn't mean anything as much as anyone will try to tell you it does. Sure. I do like that interpretation. Though. Yeah, it was mostly off the cuff today when, when I read that he said that people like to read into it too much. Yeah, I think he nailed it. I think I nailed it. Let's talk about twisting. She said you're both free, and now she's sighing. Blue out your pilot light and made a wish. She doesn't have to have this song is 
Calling is a song they play live a lot. This one's cool. I think it's kind of an underrated track. It's got some of my favorite drum programming on a They Might Be Dying song. Like mm-hmm. there's this particular moment where they do like a snare roll and it sounds like them like striking a match or like lighting a firecracker or something. Really cool. It has uh, 678 known performances. That's a lot. They played it, I think, three out of the four times I saw them. Flanza said that like uh, the song was directly influenced by the bands it references. There's the Young Fresh Fellows from Seattle. Uh... Uh, and the DBs, who are a great under-recognized band from the New York scene that like uh, they started with. I always feel like the way that They Might Be Giants reference music is very, like, losing my edge sometimes. Sure, I could see that. <laughs> Just, well, I mean, they have a song called XTC versus Adam Ant. Yeah. So they really like to wear their influences proudly on their sleeves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I could also see some of that, like, losing my edge style stuff going on in, like, tracks like... Uh... Rhythm section want ad with like some of the shout outs they were doing in that one. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good comparison. That's particularly funny that, well, it's like, j- they, that was one of James Murphy's earliest tracks as LCD Sound System, and that was one of their earliest tracks as They Might Be Giants. That's true. It's just like, it's a scene defining, it's a scene defining thing as a, as a New York musician to make one of your earliest songs about how you're tired of the scene. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It's just how it works. It's, that's New yeah. York, baby. So this song is based on the idiom, the English idiom, twisting in the wind, which means to be left hanging or without support in an uncomfortable position. And you can kind of get a lot of that from the lyrics. It's a pretty straightforward track, I feel like. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit less about, you know, death as it, as that expression actually implies. And it was used in uh, commercials to advertise the WB series Modern Men, as well as a British Pizza Hut ad in the early 2000s. I can't believe I allowed myself to talk about Birdhouse in Your Soul without talking about the Pushing Daisies moment. Oh, is it in um, Pushing Daisies? Yeah, there's a point where Olive rescues a pigeon and repairs its wing. Olive is uh, Kristen Chenoweth's character. Mm -hmm. And so it's Kristen Chenoweth who has a very good voice singing Birdhouse in Your Soul with two of the other characters. And they're singing the song as the bird flies along. It's a clearly like paper animatronic looking bird mm-hmm. flying in front of their car as they sing birdhouse in your soul and uh it's real good maybe one day we'll do a whole episode where we just like rank the best shout outs to they might be giants in like various forms of media there's so many there's so many i mean i know ready player one's gonna top the list but i think if we do that we'd have to play kingdom of loathing i guess so yeah because I, I mean there's a whole tag for it on the wiki i feel like that was on every song i looked up for this one kingdom of loathing references kingdom of loathing references they really fucking love they might be giants they really love they might be giants yeah but hey so do i so i get it yeah do you want to talk about we want to rock I mean, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the top thing on it is a rock. Uh, John says, like, this is a metaphor for getting things started. Like, if, if you need to, like, wrap a string around something, you need something like a rock to get it wrapped around, right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, kind of. I think that makes sense. It always, it always struck me as something more about just, like, needless consumerism even if that wasn't what they were going for it's something you can absolutely pull from the song i can see that too like yeah there's nothing more there's like yeah we want a rock to wind a string around just like we want prosthetic foreheads to put on our real heads <laughs> which is maybe just like a fancy way of saying a hat i guess i really love the opening lines of this one though where was i i forgot the point that i was making i think that's a great way to open a song yeah <laughs> 
I mean, it, it kind of goes with the fact that an interpretation of this song could be as multi-layered and vague as uh, our completely conflicting interpretations of it from the songwriter's perspective and from my own perspective. Yeah. But I mean, They Might Be Giants are very death of the author about their own songs. Yeah, which I appreciate, which is always nice when you're hosting a podcast about somebody's work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's, no, it's Schrodinger's author, you know? It's only, it only matters if I, if, I, if I don't like it. And, you know, if we don't look up to confirm these theories, then for all we know, we're equally as right as we are wrong. I mean, the only way really to look them up is to ask them directly. And whenever I do that, they're like, yeah, it's kind of open for interpretation. So I think <laughs> they, don't really let, they don't let it get uh, too, too, down in the, too down in the weeds with what things mean. And I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I do like a quote from the Johns about this one, though, where they say, we who have nothing to wind string around are lost in the wilderness, but those who deny this need are burning our playhouse down. If you put a quotes around certain words, it sounds more like a metaphor. <laughs> uh, I love him so much. Yeah, but no, I really do like the song as a metaphor about getting started and like that being what like everybody really wants, just to be able to like get things moving. Well, yeah, what else are you going to wind the piece of string around? Yeah, exactly. This one's really good, though. I really like the kind of the strings to it. It's got a real, like, hoedown vibe to it at parts. Yeah, um, again, this is one of the four most expensive tracks on the album to produce, and it, it's got to be just that. Like, what else could it possibly be? I don't know what else. It doesn't sound as expensive as those other ones, like we said, but... It's the string, a little bit of guitar, and then, like, a really simple drum beat. They had to spend all those money on prosthetic foreheads for their real heads, I guess. <laughs> the studio was just full of rocks as they recorded. <laughs> they, they, bought, they bought 24 hours of studio time and spent it winding string around rocks. Lovely. I really like this next song, Someone Keeps Moving My Chair. Why not? What don't you like about it? Because I remember telling you that I was excited to talk about this one and you being like, oh yeah, I've never really gotten into that one. But I think it's a jam. I think it's entirely the chorus and I don't like the like the stuttering way in which he sings the word chair. Oh, I love chair. He sounds like a fucking like foghorn or something when he lets it out. Someone keeps moving my Oh, sorry, I know, like the chair part, it's it's the rest of it. Someone keeps moving my uh, uh, chair. I think it's really good. I think it's it really just, good. I can't flow with that. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I love the lyrics. Like No, yeah, no, it's very, it's it's good. The whole concept of like Mr. Horrible being like plagued by all these like terrible things, but like all he really cares about like is like the fact that somebody keeps moving his chair. I think that's such a interesting way to like tackle like I don't know bad mental health and like how much abuse you're willing to put up with because I just I just think of like if you really think about it my petty disagreement with that singular part of the track makes me a lot like Mr. Horrible in this moment for sure because that's really it very poetically appropriate it's just that the rest of the song is fine but the the other stuff that he like undergoes in the track is all hilarious like would you mind if we balance this glass of milk where your visiting friend accidentally was killed would it be okay with you if we wrote a reminder of things we'll forget to do otherwise using a green magic marker if it's all right on the back of your head it's so like there's not even a melody to that it's just like john like spitting out words but he does it in a way that 
works so well with the track. It's like, I really want to think that all of that is just very string of thought kind of stuff. Like, just very stream of consciousness. Yeah. Like, let's just start thinking of really dumb shit to put this guy yeah. through. You have to try on these pants so the ugliness men can decide if they're just as embarrassing as we think. We have to be sure about this. <laughs> And yeah, and he's singing everything in like kind of a and not, not, not in any particular rhythm. He's really just cramming the lines in there. Mm -hmm, and I mm -hmm. actually really do appreciate that. It's really good. At the same time, this one almost feels like it could fit on like uh, Lincoln or the Pink Album a little more easily than some of the other bigger songs can. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these songs were written and recorded together. Mm -hmm. That's kind of just what happens when you put out three albums in four years. Yeah. But I feel like this one does sound a little more dated than some of the other tracks. Number 80 out of 897. Oh, okay. That's pretty high. Yeah, no. I, I, I knew that it wasn't a super popular opinion to not like this song. But the the revelation that my, my pettiness is that of the narrator of this song is kind of a... Uh, that's my big moment of this episode. That's my, my, uh, my eureka of this episode. I like it. I hope that endears it to you in the future. I think it might. I think it might. Next, we've got another one of Flan's aversion to work songs, Hearing Aid. This one's pretty fun. The electric chair's not good enough for lazy folks like myself. That's a lyric. I really love the opening one, too. Frosty the supervisor lives by himself. Sometimes I feel sorry for him. Usually I can't. <laughs> and, like, I, I get that, like, looking at, like, your boss, who's maybe a bit of a slave driver, but then realizing that he, too, is just, like, another, like, miserable person working as a cog in the machine. And, like... He chooses to be that cog. He does, and that's why it makes it so difficult to sympathize with him 99% of the time. But every now and then, you get a glimpse of him being human, and you're like, oh, he's just like me. This is another one that's really good when they have horns live. Oh, I can definitely picture that. And that's that's basically the only time it ever comes up. Flansberg said uh, in that 2009 interview with Rolling Stone that the sonics of this one were a real step up, contrasting the genre-approved beat with the Art O. Lindsay guitar solo and the vacuum cleaner synth sounds in the middle was really just the balancing act to hold the listener's interest. I remember trying to do some dub moves, but no one we worked with had any practical experience with how to do that, and it all seemed very tame, so we scrapped that part. God. I'd be interested in hearing that version, though. Yeah, for sure. They, um mostly just perform this at flood shows so it's not a track that they pull out very often otherwise yeah i wouldn't expect to see this live but it's, it's a cool little genre piece i like it a lot it's got some nice vibes also at uh three minutes and 26 seconds it is the longest track on this album huh i wouldn't have I, if you had asked me what i thought the longest one was i probably wouldn't have said this one it's uh this the, the the opening like uh muted trumpet that they use kind of plays out between the verses for like long stretches of times and then there's that one breakdown where it kind of starts going out of tune with the, the really good drum lines which are also really good live because marty beller is a impressive drummer of course um yeah 76 known performances not that many must be interesting live though oh yeah for sure next up we've got a very quick track minimum wage yeah minimum wage yeah 
This is uh, this is largely based on a uh, Frank Sinatra cover of the Petrol Clark hit Downtown. It's really good. Like at, at times, the backing track is almost completely identical to the Sinatra recording. Apparently, it's really good. Is the thing. It's it's fun. I first this was probably one of the first They Might Be Giants songs I heard because it's like on... Um, it's on User's Guide for sure. Yep. That's where I've heard it. Interesting choice for a best of compilation considering it's a very quick piece of music. It really is. I think I think it's just there because it's quick. They're like, we still have 48 seconds left on the CD to fill. Hey, let's put minimum wage in there. People like that one. Why not? My favorite thing with this one is a very... It's just a personal story of me listening to it. Uh, so on the original Xbox and Xbox 360, you were able to rip CDs to it to play as music over games you were playing. And one time I was playing Gears of War online and didn't realize that I'd set repeat on this song. <laughs> so I played about six hours of Gears of War I'm... with this song on loop and only noticed after about five and a half of those hours had passed. I'm immediately trying to do the math. Uh, this song it's a is... lot of fucking times, Trevor. <laughs> It's 46 seconds. I was playing for a long time. <laughs> you heard this song quite a few times. Several hundred times. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, at least now you probably remember all the lyrics. Minimum wage. It's also one of the songs I've played the most times on my radio show because I play it every Labor Day. Great. Great. It's a good Labor Day track. Yeah, along with uh, 16 Tons. 16 Tons is just a very, very good track for that. But yeah, Flans has said that this is like uh, the quintessential soundtrack to any crummy job. You know, it's pretty par for the course for him. Mm-hmm. Getting the impression that he does not like to work. <laughs> Isn't it just good that he ended up in a band? Pretty, Yeah, very, very. I mean, he still works, mm-hmm. but like he's less workmanlike about it. He seems to have a lot of fun. The whip crack was actually created by a wet towel snapped in the air uh, uh, by Roger uh, Mountainot, or however you pronounce his name. That's really good. That's really good. He was kind of revealing his inner jock with that move, said Flansburg. <laughs> a nerd would say that. I, I can definitely picture these two guys getting like snapped by wet towels in the locker room at school. Yeah. We've, we've, we've talked much longer than the length of this song. Let's move on to Letterboxd. Yes, we have. Let's move on to Letterboxd. <laughs> another really quick one uh but this one's uh kind of a little jam minute 25 but it's got really kind of almost epic sounding with how like much of a build they have to it i'd actually heard the okay go version of this one more times than i'd heard the they might be giants one until like relatively recently because like most of what i listened to they might be giants was just listening to user's guide a lot and this wasn't on there um and then i got that covers album and it was one of the ones that i actually liked because a lot of the covers on that cover album are not good what's the worst one do you remember whoever did don't let's start i think it might have been jason trachtenberg you can't mess up don't let's start man come on that's one of the big ones and then like there's really really good ones like uh like steve burns dead and the wrens they'll need a crane this one's cool though my my favorite lyric is if i had a pair of eyes on the back of my head for each time you forgot to take out all the things you forgot to talk about when you took a bite out of my spine i would have a lot of eyes on me by this time wouldn't i wouldn't that just be fine which is like, <laughs> makes my head explode. I don't know what that means. And this is more than one song of theirs that features lyrics about eyes on the back of a head. Yeah, yeah. Very upsetting. 
it, they just like their imagery. This is one of the ones that I never really learned the lyrics for because, you know. They sing it so fast. They're not ones that you're going to just pick up. You have to read them. Yeah. And yeah, that was, they also, I really like the, the, the kind of falsetto that's in the background when they're doing that second line. There's a lot of really cool layered vocal moments on this album. They, they really do a good job kind of mixing things in and resulting in some like pretty dense vocal performances. John Linnell on this song in 1988. I wrote this song about eight years ago, back when we were young and good. <laughs> and that would put it like back to before he actually formed the band with other with uh, with Lance. Yeah, that would make this one of the earliest technical They Might Be Giants songs, wouldn't it? Yeah. I can but see it that. wasn't on like, uh, yeah, it was on the Don't Let's Start EP, which, yeah, that that's the... Um, if you are looking at our album art right now, it's the art that's on their desk. It's the "Don't Let's Start" single. It fits in really. It fits in really well with this, with the rest of the songs on this album, though, for being such an older piece. I think. Yeah. Like I, w- I wouldn't be able to pick it out of a crowd as being. And that's also just their best piece of album artwork. Yeah. The snowman with the money roasting. That is pretty good. It's beautiful. That was a snowball in hell. Absolutely. <laughs> Next up, we've got Whistling in the Dark. A woman came up to me and said, I'd like to poison your mind with wrong ideas that appeal to you, though I am not unkind. She looked at me, I looked at something written across her scalp. And these are the words that it faintly said as I tried to call for help. There's only one thing that I know how to do well, and I've often been told that you only can do what you know how to do well, and that's be you. Be what you're like. Be like yourself And so I'm having a wonderful time But I'd rather be whistling in the dark Whistling in the dark Whistling in the dark Whistling in the dark Like I've never been a big fan of this one But now I love it Because it feels like such a like mission statement for the band I feel like this one also It kind of feels like it's um, relevant in the current day In a similar way to Your Racist Friend About uh, the line about changing someone's mind By hitting it with a rock Totally Because that just seems like how every conversation online has ever gone Yeah Just bam, 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 bam That Jeff Rosenstock album that came out this year uh, Has a great song called Beating My Head Against the Wall and I think that's the definitive take on, like, internet discourse online. Yeah. yeah. Has Jeff Rosenstock ever covered They Might Be Giants? No, but that would be pretty awesome. I would really enjoy seeing that. Doesn't that just seem like a thing that would work? I don't know what song I would want it to be. I'd have to think very long and hard about that. But I'm, I'm sure there's a, a couple yeah. that would. Yeah, well, so we got we to gotta think of our... We thought of so many good cover ideas for the last album, and we're, we're coming up kind of dry on this one. I forgot to bring this up for Birdhouse in Your Soul, but you know who I'd love to hear cover that one? Who? Maybe an odd choice. Owl City? No, that would work. That would absolutely work. I feel like that's like Fireflies is almost like his own version of that song. Yeah, there's there's no way that he isn't already a fan of They Might Be Giants. Yeah. Just everything I've seen and know about him, it's like there's no fucking way in hell that he's not. Talking about Whistling in the Dark, though, this is a cool one. On most live versions of the song, uh, Flans discards his guitar and picks up a large chess-mounted bass drum, which he strikes zealously through the song. And that's exactly what's going on in the studio version too, I think. Yeah. Like, there's a really heavy drum beat on this one. It makes it sound super anthemic. And then, yeah, just uh, John Linnell doing his best absolute bassy voice. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Daddy singing bass. Daddy singing bass. <laughs> I think that one's got like a powerful message to it. Cause like, I, I, I know the like song, the way it's written, is like saying there's nothing I'd rather be doing than whistling in the dark. But I almost see it as like um, a more comparative statement. Like I'd rather be whistling in the dark than like not being true to myself, which is what like a lot of the lyrics in the song is about. Like, yeah, 
then this is John Linnell's aversion to work song. He just does it in his own way. Rather than like selling out and becoming like a musician that like does things the way other like bands do it, rather than they might be giants way, I'd rather be like, you know, sitting in an empty apartment with like no lights on, just like not even having any instruments, just whistling to myself. I think that's really powerful in terms of a mission statement for the band. It's like, I need to adopt that mission statement and start using all the synths I keep buying. But yeah, Whistling in the Dark, super good. I have never, never really gotten into this song before, but now it feels like a very important piece of this record. It's one of the ones that if you're really listening, if you're listening to it a little more, you get a better idea of it. Like when I was listening to it at first, I thought it was a very silly song that I liked, like just the fact that his voice was really low and that they chant a lot at the end. Yep. But like you get a lot more out of it when you start listening to the lyrics a lot closer. Yeah. Like what's that one main lyric? Like, uh, I've often been told that you can only do what you know how to do well, and that's be you, be what you're like, be like yourself. Be like yourself. Like, that's such a good They Might Be Giantsy statement. So I'm having a wonderful time, and I'd rather be whistling in the dark. It's great. It's great. Speaking of other songs that really grew on me while uh, performing the research for this episode, Hacha. Where are you? I like the way that he says this one in the promo video. Hacha! Yeah, that is, that is good. And he puts his mouth to the side. So Flans has said that Hacha is actually the name of one of the wooden horses in a lesser celebrated Parker Brothers game called Derby Day, made back in the 20s. But like you, on an even deeper level, this is definitely about his brother. He says it's not, but it's definitely about his brother. It's definitely about... Paxis Colta, you know, our favorite anti-nuclear activist who we've talked about briefly in other episodes, but I feel like this is really the Paxis moment in the catalog so far. Every time I think about Paxis Colta, it's like, he does sound like a jerk, but he does also sound really fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. He changed his name to Paxis. Pretty cool. There's there's a lot of cool names in the Flansburg family, though. Isn't his, like, grandfather named, like, General Hospital or something? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so, in 2010... Uh, Flans introduced this song at a show by saying, this is a song that's not about my brother. Um, but I was I was fortunate enough to find this blog post from Paxis himself. Oh, good. After he went to go see one of the flood shows uh, in April 2013. And he wrote a whole long little write-up about his experience seeing this song live that I'd like to read to you. I'm looking at it right now, so I'll read along. Yeah, the band played its... This is a great statement. The band played its only platinum album, Flood, for most of the show. Like, as if it's like a little dig that they've only got one platinum album. Like, how many platinum albums do you have, Paxis? Yeah. And he goes on to say, on this album, in the song Hacha, which is the most clearly about me song my brother has written, (laughs) the lyrics of Hacha were written, I believe, in response to my disappearance from contact with my parents for much of 1982. My brother and I often played the game Derby Day when we were little, and Hacha was horse number two and my favorite. Despite his claims otherwise, it is clear that this song on the Flood album is about me. And he says how when they started playing it, like a friend he was with says, oh, hey, Paxis, that's your song. And he didn't recognize it himself. And he said, at first, this struck me as odd. Here is this song written by my brother on his most famous album, which is about me. And I don't even recognize it. That seems lame. (laughs) He does not know my stuff. So it seemed fair that I might not be paying super careful attention to this critical media. 
You could really see the sarcasm in that sentence. And apparently that blog post uh, attracted a lot of attention from the Might Be Giants fans. So he added a little bit at the end where he says, I should perhaps go more into detail about my contention that this song was written about me, since there is at least some dispute about it. Yeah. The song refers to the first time Hotcha went away, a float island was his home. A pretty clear reference to the time I spent hitching on sailboats across the Pacific. Which is one of the cooler things you can do. Yeah, when you run away. And he says, in the original Hotcha video, uh, which now seems to have been pulled from YouTube, I am told that there was a phone with packs on the center of the rotary dial. My brother certainly feels some affinity for the prodigal son story in light of my disappearance, and we did eat fondue together when we were growing up, which is a bit of an odd food choice. Because yeah. they do, I think Flans says, like, when the prodigal son comes home, we'll all pass fondue forks around. I keep forgetting that this song has, like, a video that barely exists. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't able to find it. It's impossible. And maybe to keep it away from Pax's prying eyes. Yeah, I love he describes himself as a funologist on his bio. Doesn't sound like a super fun guy. He sounds cool, but not fun. You know? it's like, Yeah, exactly. He's like the kind of person I wouldn't want to know, but he's cool to know about. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, I think this is a pretty cool little song. Never been really one of my favorites, but like knowing... Like, how much of it is really about his brother really does make it feel like a little unique piece on this record. Yeah. Then we move along to Women and Men. When the ship runs out of ocean and the vessel runs aground, lands where we know the boat is found. Now there's nothing unexpected but the water giving out. Land's not a word we have to shout, but there's something beside the shoreline moving across the beach head. Coming up from the shipwreck, making as if to say, Women and men, women and men. This is a cool one. It's about the um, the capitalist myth of overpopulation. I've recently gotten really into that. Just like that as a concept, in that it's a myth? Yeah, like there are all these, who's into it? Like Bill Gates, I think, has said like. Bill Gates is super into it. Yeah, there's too many people on earth and we need to reduce the population by like 60%. Yeah. When really like. Man, have you ever listened to, uh, have you ever listened to Citations Needed before? No. It's a media criticism podcast by Nima Shirazi and Adam Johnson, two guys who write for FAIR. And essentially, they just go into like specific topics in media and how they're presented in media. And there's, they have a whole episode about overpopulation, which is really, really good. Because it's just essentially an idea of a false scarcity, as if like capitalism isn't constantly creating more resources than we could possibly ever use. Right. And like, I think I, I've recently learned that you could fit like the entirety of the Earth's population into Texas just fine. Yeah. And that's not even at, like, the density of Tokyo or anything. Yeah, but I mean, like, if if there are that many people on Earth, it's going to make the ruling class harder to, like, you know, eventually put us all into work camps. So yeah. they reduce the population by 60%. All of a sudden, you've got, like, a population you have a lot more control over. Mm -hmm. So anybody ever tells you that the world is overpopulated, they're probably just trying to enslave you in the future. Yeah. Um, they Might Be Giants didn't perform this song until 10 years after the album came out. Oh, huh, really? November 24th, 2000 was their first recorded performance of Women and Men. And it's only had 55 performances since then. Not really one of my favorites on the album, but it's got a kind of cool little march to it. I like the, uh, yeah, on each verse there's a pattern of beats per measure, 7-6, seven, 7-6. Six, seven, six. Yeah, they seem to love doing stuff like that. And it does have a very, it, it has a weird flow to it. Because you, you'll see a lot of times he'll end on a line and start the next one, like, really quickly. Like, now begin to pour down from the beating up the shore. It's very sea shanty. Yeah, absolutely. Very sea shanty. I would shanty. love to see a sea shanty cover of this one. And those little vocal tricks like that, like you were talking about, are just, like, another thing that makes a lot of these songs so much fun to sing. Well, yeah, no, this one's extremely fun to sing along to live. Yeah. And, yeah, like, the, the, the organ sound that he's using, like, just the, the specific keyboard 
patch that they use for this song is just it's just so delightfully like late 80s early 90s i have a quote from john linnell about this one where he says the words have a very blank disengaged view of human reproduction the lyrics neither celebrate nor condemn the expanding population but the music is cheerful i mean now the people begin to pour out from the beach and up the shore it just like even if it's uh you know, it's just the idea that nothing can really be without context. Yeah. Nothing nothing is truly objective. Just the idea of referring to people as a flood. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's the title of the album. Hey, that's the name of the album. We did it. I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that they're, like, you know, being anti-immigration with this one or anything, but I could see this song being used as an anti-immigration anthem. Sure. Yeah, totally. I could see the, I could see the, uh, I could see the main character of um, Kiss Me, Son of God playing this one. Oh, Christ. You mean Donald Trump? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's him. He's the he's the guy. Apparently, most of the lyrics in this song can be found printed on the walls outside the bathrooms of Woodbury Kitchen, a restaurant in Baltimore, Maryland. So if you're trying to put together, like, a tour of relevant they might be giant spots maybe that should be one of them i'm sure someone's made this as like a google map with just a bunch of points that'd be a that would be a fun episode if we ever like you know found one or made one us doing a tour of like the popular they might be giant spots all around the globe oh imagine having money i think we'd have to go to istanbul we'd have to go to istanbul yeah and then be like where's constantinople i'm trying to find constantinople and then we'll be killed because that's nobody's business but the turks nobody's business but the turks can't have no ignorant Canadians and Americans asking about it. Let's talk about Sapphire Bullets Pure Love. version of this by that one band that used to open for them it's kind of funny they're they were called sapphire bullets i don't know i get the feeling it would probably sound pretty similar to what we have already i mean if i recall correctly didn't those guys even like look a lot like the johns they're very similar but like they uh, it just seemed like a really good opening band they played like you know just just like an easier versions of the songs you know oh yeah I guess we should explain that the Johns used to open for themselves live under the name Sapphire Bullets of Pure Love. It's the fake cover band that we alluded to earlier in the show. In live performances, John and John sing, Here Come the Bullets of Pure Love at the end. That's fun. I mean, Sapphire Bullets of of Pure Love as a sentence is like, okay, sure. But if you just say Bullets of Pure Love are coming at you, they're coming at you, that's just come. Oh, okay. That's just what cum is. I get it now. This song's about cum. It never struck me. I get it now. That's that's what it's been the whole it's time. never struck me. Pistol shots, gunshots, bullets from a revolver, bullets from a gun. More like bullets made of cum. Oh, God. I'm never going to be able to listen to this song the same way again. <laughs> I mean, I feel like this was the only Noise Space podcast that had not yet mentioned cum, so now we're on the, now we're on the list. We had to get into it at some point. Yeah. <laughs> The title from this one comes from uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra from their 1973 album, Birds of Fire. Then also that I thought it would be good to expand on the identical title of a very short instrumental uh, from that album from the 70s. Sure, why the hell not? But this is a nice little one. It's very, very soft and peaceful. Yeah, I the I guess like, what what instrument is it that they're playing? Uh, it feels like a little kind of mallet, right? Like a, not, maybe a glockenspiel or something. Yeah. I think it's too soft to be a glockenspiel. Glockenspiels are really more bell-like, maybe like a... 
like a marimba or something. Something like that, xylophone maybe. It sounds really good. I don't remember what they did when they played it live. I don't think they had one. It's a very orally pleasing song. But yeah, 54 known performances, so not like a super popular one. Probably mostly just flood shows at this point. What's that one part of the song where they go like, John, I've been bad and they're coming after me, done something wrong and I fear that it was me? It's always kind of stuck out to me. You don't get a lot of times where they explicitly reference themselves in a way. No, so it's interesting. Let's thumb over to the interpretations tab, which we actually haven't like dug into this time. No. I always thought it was about the murder of John Lennon. <laughs> I mean... I mean... I mean... I guess. If there's a song with bolts in it, it's got to be about the murder of John Lennon, right? He was shot. Being a, tar- being a target of love, however, might not always be good. Uh, it's negative, destructive results of love. Okay. Speakers refused to conform to some societal norm, has spoken about against something popular, and has somehow made him at odds with popular culture. He has done himself wrong, because this will lead to his own destruction. I'm not a fan of the Fortnite dances, and I was pilloried in the public square. (laughs) Just kidding. The Fortnite dances are fun. Let kids have fun. I mean, they shouldn't have stolen all the dances from black people, but still. No, they should have paid for those. They should have paid for those. Should have paid for those. (laughs) Okay, here's one. Here's, Here's the ticket. I always thought this song was a confession of gay love from John Flansburgh to John Linnell. <laughs> and uh, I just want to find you an image. I'm, I'm going to try to Google it. Where do the um, where do the John Shippers in the They Might Be Giants fandom hide? Because I feel like I haven't seen a lot of that. Uh, you are not in enough They Might Be Giants fan groups. Really? Because they are everywhere. Um, you know the Frog and Toad? Yes. Like uh, on the bikes? Frog and Toad are friends, yeah. So someone made an edit of that where it says... John and John are just friends. <laughs> Stop being weird. And it was posted by the They Might Be Giants Tumblr. I cannot find it right now, but it's a good image. Go look that up. I mean, it was posted by the They Might Be Giants Tumblr in the way that it was obviously submitted by a fan because John Flansburg will post anything you submit. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Even if it is complete garbage. Have we posted links to this episode? I have posted links to every episode we've done so far, and it is where we have gotten listeners from. Great. Hey, guys. It's, thanks, They Might Be Giants. Thanks, They Might Be Giants. I also just send it to my They Might Be Giants liking friends that I like will see at concerts and stuff and be like, hey, remember that podcast that I started six months ago and we have two episodes? Well, here's another one. We're back, baby. We're back, baby. So next we've got the official theme song of the band, kind of, They Might Be Giants. Hang on, hang on, tight. the other country western song on the album yeah a little bit might be frying up a stock they said that this one was like a really really old song that they recorded in 1985 originally and they thought about doing it for the second album but they thought it would be like weirdly appropriate for their theme song to be on their third album yeah as opposed to the one that's actually titled they might be giants which they could have put it on and then it could have been a part of you know the rare the Triple Crown Club. Yep, songs that share titles with the album that shares titles with the band name. The band. Mm-hmm. Which there aren't that many of them. Damon Albarn's The Good, The Bad, and The Queen has one. Yeah. Wilco kind of do, right? There's Wilco the song on Wilco the album. Yeah, that, that kind of counts. Referencing this one, the Johns have said that, like, well, we might have had a tad more street cred to cite Black Sabbath. I think we were really trying to make some of Hey, Hey, We're the Monkeys our own with this one. That's pretty fun. Oh, yeah, Black Sabbath is another example of the album 
track title, I'm pretty sure. That's right, yeah. They do have one called that. And, uh, yeah, it's just a, a fun, goofy song. I really love the breakdown at the end of it, where they just start doing goofier and goofier voices. I really like the sampled vocals from... Uh what is apparently like a self-improvement program that was on a cassette they bought at a junk store, yeah. which I believe is like the same origin story for that little skit that they included on Snowball in Hell. Something like that, uh, yeah. From some kind of tape they found somewhere. But I, I love that line, to make the merry-go-round go faster so that everyone needs to hang on tighter just to keep from being thrown to the wolves. <laughs> That's a really good bridge. Yeah. Like that, that that line is like perfectly punctuated to be a bridge. It makes me think of this um, movie that I would be very surprised if you've seen. Uh, I think it's from like 10 years ago or so. It's called Envy. It stars um, Ben Stiller and Jack Black. Okay. And it's about the two of them living next to each other in a suburb. Uh, living very middle-class lives. And Jack Black invents this um, invention that's like a spray that dissolves dog poop. Mm -hmm. And uh, he gives Ben Stiller the chance to invest in it and go in on it with him together. But Ben Stiller doesn't take the chance. And Jack Black, of course, becomes like a millionaire, but still lives next to Ben Stiller in this giant mansion while Ben Stiller continues with his very (laughs) middle-class life. And there's a great scene like towards the end where Jack Black has this merry-go-round put in his backyard. Naturally. But it gets stuck on, like, the highest setting, so it's, like, going very fast, and they're trying to jump onto it and hit the off switch, which is in the middle. But because it's going so fast, it just keeps flinging them off. Just absolutely pulverizing them into into dust. It's a really interesting movie. Got a, It's got a very great uh, supporting role by Christopher Walken, who plays a very strange homeless man. Oh, good. And then we got a lyric here. Um, we can't be silent, because they might be giants. And what are we going to do unless they are? It's a good question. I mean, they've been confirmed, so we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about that. Yeah. They're giants. Confirmed. We do need to worry about talking about this last song, though. We do. Road Movie to Berlin. whistling on this fucking rules this is a really great closer and i think it's so interesting that they chose to close a record that's as like colorful and animated with such a like moody little downbeat track (laughs) a song about how they thought the berlin wall would never go down yeah like what was it like six months before it did it's a little dated yeah it was written at a time when it was just obvious that the berlin wall was going to be there forever um i really like the way flansberg describes this one though he says it's like designed to feel like a fragment of some barroom song just starting up again and again even though the verse is resolved there's a little bit of tension that is left hanging each go around and that hopefully is a bit more unsettling with each verse i think that really does come through well yeah especially at the end yeah like the last like uh, vocal line in the song doesn't resolve it's really spooky so it just kind of fades out the album i feel like it would have been a cool like almost like a power move if they had made this song like almost very long and very repetitive just to get through that whole like concept of 
like a fragment of some barroom song just starting up over and over again, that would have been a really interesting way to close the album. I wouldn't have minded it either because it's good. Yeah. Also, just the friggin' trumpet parts near the end when the horns come in yeah. and just fucking blast you. That climax is wild. That part of the song whips the llama's ass right there. Just... Yeah. It works. Yeah. Uh, this one was covered on Hello Radio, which we've mentioned a bunch of times this show, uh, by Frank Black from the Pixies. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that reminds me that... Um, they might be giants were the most successful independent rock band in American history. And that like they were doing better than the Pixies with this one. And the only reason they got knocked off was Nirvana's Nevermind. You got if you're gonna lose to someone, you're gonna lose to someone who explodes, basically. Yeah. That's it. That's flood. That's flood. We did it. We made it to the end. <laughs> Some bands have albums with only ten tracks to discuss. But this band has an album with 19 tracks, and that's why it's better. Yeah, yeah, and that's why this has been such a great episode of the show. Yeah, it's a long one, too. We've been going for quite a while. But, I mean, I suppose if we're only releasing episodes every, like, four months, then... People are going to want to spend this amount of time with us. They're going to want to spend a good chunk of time with us. Do you want to say where they can, like, find us online and stuff uh, so they can spend more time with us there? I know you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I'm at MattGCN. And the GCN is for GameCube. <laughs> Just if you if you were, if you were, if you're curious... I like the Nintendo GameCube. You are Matt of GameCube Nintendo. I am Matt of GameCube Nintendo is the thing. And I'm on Twitter at Trevor Ickrath with all the vowels taken out. So it's T-R-V-R-K-R-T-H. At least it like it has a good flow to it with the vowels out. Yeah. It's easy to say out loud. The show is also on Twitter at where are we? I think it's not Giants Confirmed. We're at TMBG Fancast. The show is also on Twitter at TMBG Fancast. And we're on Tumblr at... Uh, it's just Giants Confirmed. We got that one. We, who knows if Tumblr even exists when this episode comes out. Oh, yeah. There's all that crazy stuff going on there. It's really just going right into the toilet. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there must be something about our first two episodes that got us flagged as explicit content, right? Yeah. I, I do say terrible things all the time. And I've, I've, I've said the word come enough times in this one that this one will be flagged. Yeah. You blew this episode for us, man. Yeah. Well... We have, to, we have to earn the explicit rating somehow. We do. We can't just do one cuss like a PG-13 movie. All right, though. So that's that's Flood. Next time we've got, uh, we've got, we've got Apollo 18 to talk about. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that one. Before we, uh, before we wrap up, though, I wanted to end the episode the same way we've been ending the episodes by presenting to you my uh, edited version of the album. Oh, yes. We got the short one. So for uh, the first times, I believe I gave you like 10 track edits for those. But I felt like Flood should be a little tiny bit bigger. So I went for 12. Yeah. And I think I think I might have made some controversial cuts. So let me know what you think. Okay, okay. For uh, the first half of the record, I got Theme from Flood, Birdhouse in Your Soul, Dead, Your Racist Friend, Particle Man, and Twisting. Okay. Istanbul is gone. I'm, I'm damn noticing that Istanbul is gone. Yeah. I am noticing that Lucky Ball and Chain is gone. Yeah. I, that one hurt a little to cut, but I feel like I really tightened up the first half of this record. Istanbul is not... I mean, it's a good song, and it, it rips... Like, it's just a good track to sing along to. It's not a quintessential... I mean, it is a quintessential They Might Be Giants track, but I wouldn't really call it an essential one. It's a quintessential They Might Be Giants track in the same way that, like, uh, like Why Does the Sunshine is. You could put it on a compilation album and it'd be fine there. That's where I think it would be best. And you could almost make that argument for Particle Man 2, I think. Yeah. Like, I could almost see, like, Particle Man in Istanbul as a cool kind of, like tiny tunes themed double a side single yeah but particle man has enough of that they might be giant spirit to like earn it a place on this record i think they should just release a double a side single of that the thing about double a side singles is i love paying like upwards of 15 dollars for two songs yeah yeah i say that sarcastically but like currently in the mail to me is a is a single from caro caro bonito of their song flamingo on pink vinyl so there you go so second half of this record 
Uh, someone keeps moving my chair. I think that's a great side two uh, track one. Yeah, no, it works as an opener. Yeah, we want to rock. Hearing aid. You you flipping track orders on me? A, li- a little bit, a little bit. Okay, okay, now we're talking. Someone keeps moving my chair. We want to rock. Hearing aid. Whistling in the dark. Sapphire bullets. And then of course I had to wrap up with Road Movie to Berlin. Okay. So I I cut the theme song, which again I like it, but it feels like it could have been like a B side or something. You also cut minimum wage. It's forty seven seconds. Yeah. You could just leave it in there. I guess that's true. But I mean it also like how good is it just to keep going like through all the highlights without having to pause for that for a second, you know? Yeah. Minimum wage seems like the kind of thing you could fit into a lock groove too. Oh yeah. Could you imagine a lock groove minimum wage? Oh, that would be nice. Because it does it does the minimum wage and then immediately after that the remaining 45 seconds of the song are just a loop that'd be pretty nice and it would make it easy to play uh gears of war for six hours to it (laughs) i mean i wouldn't know how many times it's gone by if i don't hear him say minimum wage every time no you'd just be totally lost in time in like the weird spacey synths of that song so that's my edited version of flood hope you like it yeah it's pretty good it's pretty good next we'll talk about apollo 18 looking forward to that talk about apollo 18 and the one the, the source of the vast majority of They Might Be Giants tattoos. Oh, that's, yeah, I guess that makes sense. That tracks. It's a cool album cover. If I got anything, it would be The Snowman. 100% chance. Yeah, I don't know what I would get. I'd have to think about it. Maybe I will have come to a conclusion by our next episode. But for now, I'll just say that I'm Trevor Ickrath. I'm Matt Ribeiro. And until next time. Make a little birdhouse in your headphones. You can hurry in the alley by the light switch. Who watches over you? Make a little birdhouse in your soul Not to put too fine